Father, this morning we want to um, want to proclaim that to be the theme of of our hearts today. That we'll listen to what that means, and at some point during this service and as this week goes on in our lives, we'll be willing to say, "Spirit, lead me, and I'll go. I'll answer your call wherever." You lead God, I'll go. May that be the cry of our heart. Lord, as a, as a church family this morning, we, we lift up uh, the Hodges family. We thank you for the way you've been with that family, and today you, you chose to call Tammy home to be with you. And so, Lord, we just pray for your strength and your comfort in their family's life. Scott and, and the girls and the things they're going to they're going to face these next few days. May we as a church just love them, pray for them, come along beside them and help them in any way we can. Father, even that is a part of what you've called us to do, to go and to show your love to others. So Lord, we just pray that everything that's done in this service will be done for your honor, for your glory, and that we'll listen, respond, and leave here differently because we did so. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Wherever God leads, I'll go. If you've been with us uh, any length of time or you've seen signs around town, you know that we as a church have been, we've been on a journey. We've been walking from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And we've been using this uh, resource called the story, a chronological version of the scriptures. And we're actually coming to the final chapters of the story as we're, we're bringing this uh, to an end. We've only got three chapters left in the story itself. However, we're going to, to stretch this out towards the end of June because we're going to actually take four weeks and just focus on the book of Revelation. So we're going we're to take this story and continue it on. And I, I hope that you stay excited for these next few weeks as we, we just come to the, the end of all that we've been studying for the last several months of what God has in mind for us. This is his story. This is God's story of, of redemption, his story of, of bringing us back of the, the creation that fell, he had the plan in mind and he set it in motion to bring us back and to, to know him and to be able to follow him. And so that's what we're continuing to do, how the upper story affects us, even in the lower story. So for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be talking specifically about the Apostle Paul, about his life, his journeys, and how his work with the church intersected God's, uh, uh, the upper story intersected those stories and how that truly affects us today. And we're going to start in the book of Acts today, Acts chapter number 16 is where we're, we're going to, to spend the majority of our time. And here's how the, the scriptures read. It says in verse number 9 that during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, as it was then, would be modern-day Greece. All right, so the, the thing that we know of Greece would be where, they, where he saw this man coming from. In, in fact, uh, I thought it was very appropriate. My wife and I will be going to uh, on a trip in, a, in next week, and we'll be ended up in Greece, and one of our missionaries there, we're going to be able to see them, see the work that God is doing. You can help contribute. We're going to take some stuff with us, all that part. So that's what Paul saw. He saw what we would know as modern Greece, and it goes on to say, as he saw this man from Macedonia, here's how he saw him. He was standing and begging him, begging Paul, and he said this, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to the end. Now, the event teaches us what, it's, what a missionary's life is supposed to be. 
And as we've already identified, missionaries are not just a select few of those who, who go to across the, the oceans. Missionaries are all of us who are called as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when we first come to know and, and follow Christ, Paul gives us an example. He gives us an example of, of what an attitude of following Christ would be. In fact, many of the translations, just the, the first words out of Paul's mouth after he became a follower of Christ, when he was converted, many translations record this phrase. It's found in, be found in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. And Paul simply says to, to Christ, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's just very simple. Just a question. It'd be another way of saying, you know, wherever you lead, I'll go. But th- this is a powerful statement. Look at a couple things in there. First of all, as you, as you look at this statement, he's convinced that God has a plan for him. He, he's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's, it's a, he realizes that, God, you've got something in mind for me. I'm a follower of yours now. What is that plan? What do you want me to do? And obviously he thought this plan was bigger and, and uh, had more to do than he could ever involve. What do you want me to do? And can I say that's all, everyone in this room, as we've pointed out, a follower of Christ, there is a plan. There is a design. There is something God wants you to do. But also notice the attitude in which he does it from the very first word, Lord, Master, the one in charge, what do you want me to do? Just notice the emphasis. It's a matter of it's, my life is not mine. It's what do you want? He recognized that Jesus not only saved him, Jesus was in charge of him. Jesus was the one in control. And so God has a plan for you. And the key is, are we willing to say, God, what do you want me to do? What is, what is it that, that this week, as I walk out of here today, what is it that you want me to do with my life? Have you ever said that? genuinely and meant it. Maybe you have. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you said this and truly meant it, that as you're walking out the door, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do? What is your plan? And I will do it if you'll show me. When was the last time that that was part of our lives? So what does this look like for us? What does go look like in our perspective as we see the Apostle Paul example? What does it look like for us to, to, to accept this challenge, to go and do what God has in mind for us to do? No matter whether we're young, older, we've been in the faith a few months or, a few, or many, many years, what does this look like for us to accept this challenge and to go? How do we practically apply this? Let me show you what Paul did in this passage, and I, I hope that you can, you can begin to understand what this looks like. Go, by three different definitions we're going to look at today, is this. Number one, go means to be alert to God's leadership in your life. Be alert to the fact that God does have a plan for you, and he wants you to follow it. He wants you to know his plan. He's not, he's not trying to hide it. This isn't a mystery. This isn't, I hope I get this right. God wants you to know what he wants, what he wants you to do, and he wants you to follow it. There is leadership. But the point is, are we listening? Are we in a place where we can hear it? Are we in a place where we will, once we hear it, follow and do what he said? Before we get to Acts 16, where we're, where we're at today, I want to back you up just a little bit to see how this all started with Paul. How this whole thing came together when, when the church realized that God's call to, to reach people was supposed to be a both at home and around the world prospect. All at the same time. 
Churches, we have to understand that God wants us to reach our community, reach our people here that we can see, but he also wants us at the same time to be able to reach around the world. And that's an interesting thing unless he sends people like we met last week or others to go. So here's how this all started. It it had the first practical missionaries, career missionaries, started with a guy named Paul and his friend Barnabas back in Acts chapter 13. Let me just show you these verses. Here's how it started. At the church at Antioch, It says, while they, that's the church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And then later it says, and the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Notice both things, both that this was was God's call, but he did it through the church. The church sent them out. But also, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The church blessed them. The church sent them. The church was behind them and supported them and held them accountable. But they were being led specifically to go because the Holy Spirit told them where they were supposed to go. So they go on this first journey. They see a mixture of you know, highs and lows. A lot of people are turned to Christ. They have persecution. They, at one point, Paul's left for dead after he's been persecuted. All these things are happening. But they do this first journey, and then they come back home to Jerusalem. They report to their churches the things that have happened to them. And that's when we come back now to Acts chapter 16. They're now getting ready to go on a second journey to do what God has called them to do, to go and to to plant these churches. And that's where we come, Acts chapter 16. But let's back up to verse 6 and look what he says in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. I don't know if, as I was reading that, anything rings odd to you, but at the very, very least, this is, to me, is peculiar. Because remember, we just saw in chapter 13, they went out because they were led by the Spirit. They were going, being led as a Spirit, and they're still in that frame of mind. But here in this passage, the Spirit seems to be actually frustrating them, seems to be almost against them. At one point, he said the Spirit didn't allow, the word literally is he was forbidding them from going this direction. They wanted to go here, and the Holy Spirit forbid them to go. Then they wanted to go here, down to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit would not give them permission. They're in this place, and it's, it's as if, what are you doing, God? We want, we're wanting to follow you, and the Holy Spirit seems to be stopping them, seems to be not allowing them. But here's the point you've got to understand. All of that is a part of Paul and his companions were listening to what God wanted them. Remember, God's plan is bigger. God has a plan in mind for them, and they were listening to what God was saying for them to do. Let me ask, have you ever been at a place like Troas in your life? A place where you want to be doing the right thing, and it seems like doors... As we say, doors are being closed, things are being, it, it's a, there's frustration. The Holy Spirit, God, I, I want to go to Bithynia. I want to go, as Paul was saying, I want to go north. I want to go, I want to do this. And it's as if God says, no. And you go, well, what's up with that, God? I mean, this is, this is good. They wanted to go and preach in these cities, and God was saying, no, that's not where I want you to be. Have you ever been to that frustration, been to that point in your life? Understand, a no from God is not a problem. It's a point of direction. A no from God just simply means he's saying, I, I, I don't want you to go there, but that doesn't mean I don't have a plan for you. I have a direction, and it's about being alert and sensitive to what God wants us to do. 
I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us Paul's emotions at this point. I, I have conjectured at points to think because Paul was a pretty type A guy. And it seems like he had his mindset going here, and God said no. His mindset going there, God said no. And now he's on this seashore town called Troas, and it's, it's as if he's, it, I can, in my, my personal opinion, Paul may have been saying, oh, God, this is tough for me because this is, I had my, this. But whatever his opinion was, he realized that God has a plan. Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what I want to do. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Let me throw you out some observations that I get from this particular passage. Number one is this. Sometimes God's ways, often God's ways are unexpected. It wouldn't be what you had planned if you were planning it. If you're laying out the map and you would have turned right because that makes more logical sense or that's where you think you should go and God may be turning you completely left or you turn. It just sometimes is unexpected. It wouldn't be exactly what you had planned. Here's what I've learned personally. And I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. I have learned that sometimes God has to stop me so that he can turn me. I know you've heard the, the thing with a big ship, right? That you, 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 a ship to turn it. You, that's not, can you imagine this big ship being turned, right? This life, this body. Sometimes I'm running full speed and I have my plan in mind. And sometimes God may have to bring me to a Troas, may have to stop me so that I will get quiet enough to listen so that he can turn me. But that's not a bad thing. Remember, I want to do what God wants me to do. So if stopping me is what it takes to turn my direction, to make me go where God wants me to go, that's, that's a good thing. God, God may have had plans. Paul, this was an unscheduled stop on Paul's life, but it was what God wanted him to do. I, I don't know if you've experienced this. This week, let me just show you this. Uh, I, was, I was traveling, and, and this, uh, I'd been in a meeting, and I heard this, and, and a God, literally, I know it was God. He brought a, a, my, a name to mind, a pastor friend of mine I haven't talked to in months. If you know me, I'm not a big phone guy, right? I don't, I'm just not a big, but God, it was, it's as if I needed to call this pastor. So get, I got on the phone, I'm calling him, I'm traveling, I call him, and, and we start talking. We're just going, to me, it's going to be just short little, just, just let you know how things are going. And I, honestly, this never, this doesn't happen too often to me. The man just began to just spew, just, he needed to unload. And a five-minute projected conversation turned into 45 minutes. Now, for me, 45 minutes is for you five hours on the phone. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. But it was what God wanted. And before we got off, he said, this was a God thing. I just needed to talk to somebody today. You've been there, haven't you? If you listen to God, God may take you to unexpected, maybe even unwanted places to do what he wants you to do with his life because his ways are often unexpected. His ways often uh, are this as well. They're often unexplained. Here's what you've got to remember. Per perfect obedience does not need to know why. Didn't say you wouldn't want to know why. It doesn't need to know why. If you're simply obeying, it simply means, God, I'm, I'm available, and this is where you send me. I want you to hear that again. Perfect obedience does not need to know why. God doesn't have to explain himself. He didn't, it, it, from what the scripture, we have no idea why he forbid him from there. These were, these were people needed the Lord. Why he wouldn't give him permission there. They needed the Lord. He had a plan for him, and he doesn't have to explain himself. The point is, are we going to be okay with that? 
doesn't change him, but are we going to stress over the fact that he doesn't necessarily explain himself? I brought a verse while I was studying, and it just jumped off. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, look at this. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Wow. Isn't it true? You don't understand how the wind works. You don't understand all all these mysteries. You're not going to understand God's ways, but you've got to be okay with the fact that he may not explain himself, but if he's called us and this is what he wants us to do, that, that that is the best thing for us. And then one last observation is this. A no from God is part of a greater yes. When God stops us, when God says no, it's not to, to, to defeat us, not to hold us back. Even if you go through the scriptures, when there is a forbid, there is a do not, there's always a do it to replace it. And even more, something to give so that God is not trying to, to eliminate uh, the, the progress of our life. He simply knows there is a best way for us. There's a best way for his kingdom, for his glory. So when he says no, that means it's a part of a greater yes. There's something that God has in mind for you to do. And, and this may be a frustrating moment in your life, but God is working to, if you will be willing, to follow to do what he has called you to do. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't depend on what you think is the right way. In all your ways or seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. God wants you to know where he wants you to go if you're willing to listen and follow him. Go means this, this idea of, of going is simply being alert to God's leadership. But not only alert, let me give you a second thought. Go means to be sensitive to the needs of people. We go back to Paul's story here, and we go back to the verse we originally read, and, and you start in verse number 9, and, and you'll see that God's plan always involves somehow you loving, somehow you ministering to other people. God is, that's always going to, it's not just an action. It's not just doing something. It's going to involve somehow your life affecting others. Look what he said. In this vision that Paul had, it said Paul had a vision. What was his vision of? It was a, a man, a man from Macedonia. Paul had a vision of a man. Now it's getting personal. Now it's getting real. There's a, there's a man with a face on, 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 in his vision. This isn't just something to do. This is a man with a, with a family. This is a, this is a personal vision. He said this man with the, the, from Macedonia, and he said he was begging him. Are you, are you seeing the, the, the picture here? We have a man, and whether he's on his knees, whether he's, he's got his hands in the begging, whatever it is, here is a man from Macedonia begging Paul to come to Macedonia and help us. Please help us. Do you hear that cry? That's what Paul heard. This is the vision of a man with the faith. And to, to our knowledge, we have no idea if he actually met this man. Maybe he was the first guy. He, who knows? But here is a man begging Paul, come and help us. So when God says, when Paul says, I'll do whatever you want, God. God said, okay, then be listening. I'm going to give you direction. But understand that it's going to involve you and your life impacting the life of somebody else, impacting the lives of people. We've got to understand, as Christians, God wants us to see people the way he sees people. He wants us to, to grow in the fact that we're our in-person, because people can be, can be a joy at times, and people can be a frustration. They can be a downright, <laughs> you understand where I'm getting. People can be hard to deal with, and, and what we have to understand is God has called us 
to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, to love others, to, to be concerned about the needs of others. This is how Jesus saw when he saw people. He saw the crowds, Mark, Matthew 9 says, and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus first called his disciples, here was his assignment to them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It wasn't follow me and I'm gonna, we're going to start these, these big buildings and these churches and we're going to do this, we're going to have this great organization. All of that is fine except he said the purpose, the assignment is you're going after people. Your, your assignment, your work is to impact people. And we've got to leave here today understanding that God is going to bring people into our lives and we have to be sensitive to the needs of who, who, the, who God brings into our lives, the needs of others who need to know Jesus Christ. When this man was identified for Macedonia, so that becomes the point of, of direction for Paul. So, so we know God was showing him, you need to go there because this man is from Macedonia. But don't forget, it was a man. Macedonia was the sidebar. It was a man in Macedonia that he was sent to. It was people there that he was sent to minister to and to reach for Jesus Christ. The, the person begging for some help, that's universal. Folks, here's what we got to remember. And sometimes we come sanitized into church and we come and we enjoy this, and this is fantastic. But do you realize that even in this room and in the people that you're going to meet, we have people all around us, all around Taylorville, our surrounding communities, and the world who are begging for someone to help them. And as missionaries, God is going to call us to those people to help meet their needs, begging for help. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes the begging is quite obvious. They are crying out for help. Their lives are a wreck. They're just, you know, what, what you, can, you can just paint the picture however you want. You can see that they're desperate, and they're literally, they would almost say, would you help me? I need, I want to get rid of this addiction. I want to get rid of this. And, the, and they're just crying out. The lives are just broken, and they know it, and they just, they want help. I, I remember sitting in our, our apartment in California one night. It was middle of the night. It had to be 2, 3 in the morning. And, and we're sound asleep. We had the windows open, a beautiful night. And literally, we heard, we heard a blood-curdling scream from a woman saying, Murder! They're killing me! I mean, that, I mean, I didn't, I toned it down. You talk about setting you straight out of bed in the middle of the night. And I run out half-clothed to see what was going on into this apartment, and there was no one to be seen. And so the rest of the night, we're going, what happened in this place, Right? Come to find out she was just mad at her boyfriend, and that, it, was all, it was all worked out, but oh my goodness, that scream, you'll never forget those kind of things. There are people like that that are just screaming all around you, I need help, and you know who they are. But a lot of us are around people that their cries are just as sincere, but they're a lot more subtle. They don't want to admit that, and so they're not going to tell you about all their problems, but deep down, maybe they've got money, they've got stuff, they've got life kind of moving, but inside they're empty, and inside they're saying, boy, I wish somebody could show me where to go. That's a cry for help. And we need to be as God's people, as God's missionaries, understand God's going to lead us, and as he does, he's going to lead us to help people, to, to meet the needs of people, to see what, what he sees, that they're harassed, that they need help, and God wants us to meet those needs. That, that's how he calls us. So be alert, be sensitive. Let me th- share with you a third thing. Go means to be obedient to God's direction. Look at how Paul, what Paul said. This is the key. What do you do with this information, Paul? Now that God showed you, he gave you this vision. There's the people, they need help. This is where I want you to go. Listen to verse 10 again. After Paul had seen the vision, 
we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Look at that. We got ready at once to leave. In other words, he said, enough talking, enough thinking about it. God has called it. We know this is what we need to do. It's, we, we're done speaking about it. Let's get up and do it. Let's move. It's immediate. Go at once without hesitation. As the phrase says, delayed obedience is disobedience. We know, once you know that God has called you and you have people to, to, to meet the needs, then it's about what do you do with it. He said, we, at once we got up to do something. Let me show you just a subtle change here in this verse. Would you circle the word we? There's something subtle about this verse. The book of Acts changes at this point. The writer of Acts is the, is the writer who wrote the book of Luke as well. Luke wrote the book of Acts. But up until chapter 16, Luke has been telling the story from, uh, from records, from accounts, from what people had told him. Because you're going to see even the verses right before, he talks about they went. And the, the apostles, and Paul and his companions, he speaks in, in the person of, of they. And again, now, suddenly, he says we. So at this point in the book of Acts, Luke joins the posse. Luke now is not just a writer of what's happening. He's actually a part of the story. He is now we. He's part of it. And, and all that is, is interesting, but it also makes, makes me understand that when I answer a call that to do what God has called me, it doesn't just affect me. Or when I disobey a call, it doesn't just affect me. There are others. There are we involved. There is my family. There's friends. There's church. There's neighbors. Your, your decisions, either positive or negative, to follow and to do, make a decision on others. Here was Paul's vision. Now we are going to be affected by it. When you make a decision for, to follow God or not, we are going to be affected by it. Your church, your family, your friends, your decisions today affect more than just you. There is a, there is a we element involved. He goes on to say, and then concluding that God has called us. There is a confident assurance here. We know this is what God wants us to do. I have no doubt. I know God has called us. I know he has, wants me to, to do something for him. I'm going to do it. But also notice it includes faith. He's going to have to cross now a channel of water. That's, that's not a big deal. He does it all the time. But he's going to a place that he's never been before. He's going to meet a man that he saw maybe in a vision. He's never seen him before. He, does, he knows what happened before, and it wasn't all pleasant. But he has no idea what's going to happen when he takes this step. It's a step of risk. It's a step of faith. It's a step of, God, you're telling me to jump. I'm going to do it. As we sang earlier, I'm going to step out on the waters and trust that you're going to help me do what you've called me to. I want to do what you want me to do, God, but to do so, it's going to take a step of faith. It's, you won't know all the answers. You don't even know why you may be doing it. But God says, will you trust me? And Paul says, we're concluded this is what God wants us to do. And he said, we know that he has called us to preach the gospel to, these, to this man, to these people. Some of you just turned me off at that point. You say, well... That's great, love it, but I'm not a preacher. So this, that we can just shut it off right there. I may be going, but I'm not a preacher. Understand, folks, the, 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 the job of proclaiming Jesus to the world is for all of us missionaries. You may never stand in this place. Some of you would pass out before you stood on this stage to address people. I get that. But that doesn't at all stop the fact that God has called all of us to go and to take what we know of Jesus to the world around us. To, we are called to proclaim that truth. And, and here's the thing. It starts, yes, with you living a life that reflects Jesus. That's important. You need to live a life of an example. So let's start there. Yes, you need to live a life that, that people see a difference and they follow Jesus. But please understand, it can't stop there. 
you at some time, God's going to ask you to engage your mouth and point people to Jesus verbally. Point people to him. Yes, live the life, but at some point, as he brings it, that person or those people in your life to engage them. I've said this before, but let me make sure you understand it. To, to win the world to Christ, we, God's people, are his plan A to do that. And there is no plan B. But think about this. Why wouldn't God just use angels? I mean, that would get your attention. Gabriel comes down. I, I'd listen. <laughs> right? I, that would get your attention. But do you understand, Christians, this is one thing you can do that angels cannot do. An angel can't testify about salvation because they've never experienced it. An angel in all his glory and power has never been a sinner saved by grace. But you have. You are a witness of the resurrection. Jesus Christ came into your life. He saved you. He's turned your life around. He has forgiven you of your sins. Angels have no idea what that's all about. But you do. So God has said, now those of you who have experienced it, I want you to share it. I want you to take it and tell someone else the truth about who Jesus is. We are God's plan to tell the nations, to tell the neighbors, to tell the world about him. And he wants us to live a life that, that represents him, but also to use our lips to tell them, Jesus loves you, but you're a sinner and you need a savior. Jesus died so that your sins can be forgiven. And if you will repent and receive that gift, you can be saved. It's that simple. That's all that we did to receive Christ, and that's all that they have to understand is Jesus loves them, died for them, and they can receive his gift. And you have that message because you've experienced it. Go, be obedient to what God has called you to do. So will you go to a friend, a coworker? God may never call any of you to go anywhere outside of Christian County to do this. But he will call you to stay. He, he may never have you change your address, but he's going to have you impact the people within your address, within your zip code, within your, your neighborhood, within your workplace, within the place you go to school. He's go, you're, those people there are not by accident. And they may not be crying loud. Some of them might be. Some of them may be quiet. But there are people around you crying out. They need Jesus, and they don't even know what they need. They just need help. And you have the help. You have the message. You have Jesus in your life. So, so what does go look like? Well, it's being alert to the fact that God wants to lead us, and he will. That's where it starts. It's being alert and understand that God's way is best, and, and I can follow it. That's number one. It's also knowing that God will involve me in meeting the needs of people. So go means being alert. Listen, know that it's going to be touching people's lives, and also go means a step of obedience. We have to be ready, step out with the conclusion, God has something in mind. Today, here, as you leave, God has something for you to do. I want to, get, I want to throw out some personal implications, some things that as I was thinking through this passage, and I've thought through this passage before, but God just kind of, he and I had a, a really good talk walking through this. Let me throw out some things that this means to me. When I understand about this go and part of my, you're not, this isn't on your outline, so, it, so don't freak. It's not there, but you can write it down, okay? Here's what it said to me, some personal implications. Number one is this, stop worrying. Let me explain why that, that stuck in my head. All the things, the, the there are a lot of things, concern, common sense, all those things. We, can, we give them lots of names, but a lot of times they end up being worry. You see, here's what I realized as I was talking. What, what if things go bad? What if I make a wrong decision? I, I, I came to the realization this week 
that I'm a worrier, and I don't think I would have ever said that before. I'm not a person that sets and frets with my hands, but here's, here's what I do. I, I'm a, most people would consider me a thinker. I'm a contemplator. People that work around me, I drives them nuts because I, I always, I don't usually just speak. I, I think through it. And people, people panic around me. They, they feel like they got to fill in the gaps and they just can't they understand what it means. It's just chill. I'm thinking of an answer, right? Okay, that kind of a thing. I drive people nuts. And there's nothing wrong with that. Analyzation is good. God has gifted me to and that, give me that idea so that I think through things. But here's what happens to me. Sometimes I start to think and I think and I think a little more until before long, I hesitate to pull the trigger because I'm too worried about what might happen. That's called worry. It's not called, I can call it whatever I want, that's worry. Or, on the other hand, I make a decision, and I almost guarantee a, a big decision in my life, before, I've fin- before the ink is dry on my signature, before I finish the sentence, I'm second-guessing my decision. Oh, man, why, man, maybe I should have waited. Maybe I shouldn't. And, and I worry and I stress and I, and, and I really, and call it thinking, you call it whatever you want, but ultimately I'm not trusting that God wanted to lead me. And if I've, here, here's the thing you've got to understand, followers of Christ, when it comes to this, is if, if I've desired to do what God wants me to do, and if I have sincerely asked for his wisdom, and I've spent time saying, God, I want to do what you want me to do, if you'll show me, and I'm willing, and if there's no willful disobedience in my life that I know of, if there's nothing that I'm doing, then when I make a decision, or when God is leading me, I can step out, I should be able to step out with confidence and do it. Paul did. He went, to, he went to a whole new country because he knew this was, but I, I, would, I would be fretting all the way across. I'd be sick to my stomach all the way to that other town because did I do the right thing? Have I gone the right way? And God said, just stop worrying. If I'm leading you, then trust that that step is the right one. Here's the second thing that God said as I was thinking through this, some implications. Not only stop worrying, but stay willing. This is a big one. No matter what it is, and sometimes in our lives as Christians, we get in a comfortable place, and, and we've been willing at some point, but we're now comfortable. The lazy boy feels great right here where we're at in the life. And so at some point, we'll say, oh, yeah, that sounds good, God, but I'm really not wanting to move from where I'm at. We've got to stay willing. We've got to stay on the edge and say, God, if this is what, then I will do it no matter what. No strings attached. That's the big thing, Christians. No fine print. It's not, yes, God, I will go except there. I'll do that, but not then. Or I'd be glad to, but not right now. Or I'll do it as long as it includes this or doesn't. And we add, we add these disclaimers. We're, we're that, they're that, that bad TV commercial. We've got all the fine print to God, I'm willing to go as long as it works out the way I want. God says, be willing. Whatever you, wherever you lead, God, I'll go. What do you want me to do? We've got to stay willing and be purposely, deliberately willing to do as God wants us to do. And then finally, we've just got to start going. To coin a phrase, we've got to go with the intent to tell. We've got to leave this place. We've got to leave your house when you go to work on Monday morning. You go to school. Leave, go with the intent that God is leading in my life. I'm where God wants me to be, and it wouldn't be there on accident. There's a person going to cross my path that needs to know something about Jesus. Maybe it's a Christian who needs encouraged. Maybe it's a lost person who needs Jesus. But I'm going to go, and I'm going to take this seriously. I'm not waiting for a bright light to send me to Macedonia. I know that he sent me to my neighbor today, and I'm going to go with the intent to tell them about Jesus.
Stop worrying if God's leading you. Stay willing, no matter how long you've been in this, to do whatever. And that that means change everything, uproot whatever. Or if it just means walk across the street and have a conversation. I'm willing, God. But start going. What what would that look like? Let me me give you some two examples that I, I, I want to share with you today about what going would mean. What go could mean in your life, it just you be willing to do what. You see, when Paul went, the whole, that whole region of Macedonia, which is now Greece, that all, that all changed. Churches were started. Athens was reached. All of those things happened. It was phenomenal. What would God do if you're just willing to go? Can I give you a couple of examples? First one is, some of you may have heard this, and this starts a while back, but let me introduce you to a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a, a Sunday school teacher at a church uh, back in the, mid-1800s. It was called Union Church, and it was just outside of Boston. Edward Kimball had, had, a, had a group of young men in his class. One particular young man was 17 years old named Dwight. Now, Dwight's story is that he'd come to church kind of because he had to. He was bored. He just didn't seem to get along the things too well, but Mr. Kimball poured his life into him. He went actually to his store where Dwight worked as a shoe salesman. He went to the store one day, and he just literally, and according to his records, he was scared to death, but he said, will you invite Jesus into your life? He just, just asked him. There was no, there was no uh, he just asked him, and that day in that store, Dwight accepted Christ. Well, that Dwight, his full name is Dwight L. Moody. And Dwight L. Moody from that point on, took Go very seriously. And it wasn't too many months after that he moved to Chicago, and he would just, he, anybody met him, and he crossed paths, he was not afraid to ask, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you invited Jesus in your life? Became one of the premier evangelists in, the, in that time period, and souls were saved, just reached around the world. In fact, there's a Moody Bible Institute in Chicago that all started because, that, what an influence he had, but it didn't stop there. And there's story, Greg Laurie tells a pathway, and there's a lot of people that have added some timelines to this, but listen to what Greg Laurie tells about what happened after that point. He said that he also influenced a guy by the name of Fred Meyer, who was a preacher, but he was, he was kind of cold, and this inspired him, and he began his own preaching ministry. And in his preaching ministry, he reached a guy by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman, who himself accepted Christ and became a powerful pe- preacher and worker of the gospel. And he had his own evangelistic crusade, and he employed a man by the name of Billy Sunday, who was a baseball player. Well, Billy Sunday then turned around and under his training became one of the greatest evangelists of the next generation. And Billy Sunday would, would preach and was, had the respect of those. In fact, he was supposed to be in a town in North Carolina, Charlotte, but he couldn't come, so he recommended a man by the name of Mordecai Ham to come to that, that meeting in South Carolina. And while he was there, Mordecai Ham said that the meeting was not going well. They preached for several nights. No one seemed to be responding. But the last night of the meeting... A guy, a, a, a lanky 16-year-old, 17-year-old young man walks down the aisle. They know, they, he was known as Billy Frank. We know him today as Billy Graham, who at the age of 99, still living, his legacy continues with the many people he has reached and, and won to Christ, and his son is continuing the legacy on. All of those things, what God has done, but don't forget, it started with a Sunday school teacher named Ed Kimball in the mid-1850s. And don't forget this, someone led Ed Kimball to Jesus Christ. What if you could have been the one that ministered to Ed Kimball, who ministered to D.L. Moody, who from his ministry changed the world? Let me see this, as I was thinking about that, let me see if I can make it a little more personal. 
What, what if, if you're going, God wants you to do something right now, and you're ne- you may never be a D.L. Moody, a preacher, but what if God wants to change your life? Let me, let me give you a little more personal thought. There's a man named Leslie Tomberlin back about 60 years ago. Leslie Tomlin was just a saint of God, worked in a church in Kansas. He actually had a son that went to be a missionary in Brazil and did great things. But one particular night, Leslie Tomlin went to a house, farmhouse outside of Wichita, and he sat down with a couple named Charles and Luella. And that night, Charles and Luella were just solid farming folks, but they had never received Christ. And that night, Leslie Tomlin led Charles to Christ. Well, that Charles happens to be my father. And at the age of eight years old, under the influence of my father, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Well, the story goes, I have three brothers that have been in ministry, a sister is married to a pastor. God used my father, who never was full-time in ministry, worked as a farmer in a beach aircraft, but God used his influence. Now, fast forward about 27 years. We're ministering in a town in Texas, and God says, I want you to go to New York. Now, that sounded exciting to me. wasn't quite so exciting for my wife. In fact, it wasn't exciting for a lot of people. One of the teachers in Stephen's school, when heard, she told her that dad was, God was leading her dad to New York, the teacher actually said, what did your, God, your dad ever do to God? <laughs> Why would he send you there, right? People didn't quite understand, but God led us there. And Part of while we were there, she met a young man named Carlos, and the rest is history. But about 11 years later, God's still leading, opens the door for us to come back to this church. Again, it may have sounded good to me, but not ever remember the we that's involved with following God. My youngest girl actually said, Dad, if I'm being punished, please tell me. Because this was a tough move for her. She grew up in New York. She didn't understand this. But as God dealt with her life, after inviting her friends to church and trying to bring them, finally one of her friends came by the name of Michaela. And Michaela accepted Christ as Savior. Now my daughter goes on to school, and Michaela brings a friend named Peyton, and Peyton receives Christ as Savior. And you see, folks, the story goes on and on, but don't let me help her forget there was a guy named Leslie Tomberlin, 60 years ago, who sat down with my dad and said, would you want to receive Christ as Savior? What could God do with your life if you're just willing to say, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. And if that means across the street, that means the person that sits in the desk next to me, that means around the world. God, I, I, it does, the location really doesn't matter. There's people that need you, and I'll go. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. As, as I thought about this message, there was a song, an old hymn, that came to my mind. I haven't sung this song in years, but it literally basically has this title. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Some of you may recognize it. Some of you have never heard this before, I guarantee you. But I, I want to teach you this simple chorus today. And I'd like us to... As you hear it, Steph and I are going to sing it, and then I'd like you to join with us and sing it as well. But I hope this can be the prayer of our hearts. Wherever he leads, I'll go.
sing it with us. Sing it as a prayer. God wants us to say from our hearts on a daily basis, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. Now, and as I leave this place, as I go throughout my week, is that what we're willing to say today? What is God leading you to do today? Could be someone in this room who's not yet ever truly accepted Christ as your Savior. You've heard the story. You, you understand perhaps today clearly God, God loves you, but because of sin, you're separated from him. But he died so that your sins could be forgiven. And if you'll repent and receive him, he'll become your savior. He'll change your life. Would you receive him today? Would you call out to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I believe you died and rose again for me. Please save me. Or maybe as a follower of Christ, there's been a time when you said, God, whatever you want from me, and, but is it current? When was the last time you said, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go today. Have you done that today? Have you done that recently? Maybe that's just, God, re, I recommit myself to just take this life right now and to go and to wherever, every day. Or maybe he's even speaking to you about something, a, a move that was just beyond that completely out of the blue, but you know it's God speaking. Would you be willing to listen to him? Father, we love you. And I say once again, wherever you lead, I'll go. Pray that that's the cry of our hearts. Please work in this service the way only you can in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We'll have deacons here at the front if you'd like someone to pray with you as if God leads you, I'd love to invite you to come and to pray today. Maybe you want to pray right from your seated, but I would invite you to just speak to God as he's spoken to you. Is this the day to say, God, I hear you. I'm going to follow wherever he leads.